Uh, what is the key to empowering men in the Me Too age while maintaining healthy boundaries and strong behavioural expectations? Um, we've had relatively reliable birth control since 1960. Okay, that's not very long. And we underestimate the unbelievable technological triumph of birth control. It's, it's the hydrogen bomb. It's the transistor. Like It's a major league transformation in human interaction. Women are now free from involuntary rep- reproduction. That's never been the case in the entire history of the planet. Yeah, this is a huge thing. Um, basically, women have unilateral control over the birth, right? Women choose the direction of the human race since 1960. Okay. We don't know exactly what to do about that. Okay, so the first idea in the 60s was, hell, <laughs> let's party. And, you know, you could see why. It's like what the rules for not engaging in um, promiscuous sexual intercourse seemed to have vanished. So we had a couple of decades of experimentation. Right, and here's the problem. The problem is that there are other consequences to bedroom fun than... There are other consequences to bedroom fun than pregnancy. And that's the thing. And in fact, I would say arguably, uh, I mean other than pregnancy, the secondary negative of promiscuity is the destruction of the ability to pair bond, but also the destruction of society. Because before, the, the average man or, you know, the slightly above average man believed that he could get laid. Right, and so he worked to become strong and competitive and successful because he knew what the what the end result was. He was going to get married and have children. Nowadays, the slightly above average man gets nothing. The above above average man gets nothing. The above 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 average man gets nothing. The average man gets nothing. The below average man gets nothing. Most men get nothing when it comes to bedroom fun. They get no attention at all. And so they're demotivated. Demotivated men don't produce a stable society. It's like, well, how'd that go? Little hard on the family, I would say. That's not so good for kids. AIDS, that wasn't a plus. Could have killed us all. And it mutated, particularly to take advantage of promiscuous sex, because viruses are very tricky things. So, it turns out that sex is a little bit more complicated than we thought. Well, Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Helios blog. My name is Helios here for another reaction video. Like in the channel, like in the content, hit that sub, hit all for notifications. Go to my Patreon, support me. It's patreon.com slash the Helios blog. Again, patreon.com slash the Helios blog. Go there and subscribe. Drop me a donation like Hunter M, Adrian R, Tom M. Shout out to them. Link is in the description. Let's continue. Well, it actually turns out that it's a lot more complicated than we think. Okay, and now it's four, 50, 60 years later, and we're trying to sort this out. It's like, well, when is it okay to have sex? Exactly. And when is it not okay to have sex? And what does it mean that it's okay? 
And what does consent mean? And the answer to that is, well, we never used to have to think these things through because the rule was don't have sex until you get married. That was the rule. Now that isn't the rule. Okay, so what's the rule? Well, we're not having a conversation about the rule. We're waiting till someone does something that seems like it might be untoward and then mobbing them and trying to extract the rule out that way. And it's not a very effective way of doing it. You know, you want to decrease campus rape? That's easy. Get rid of alcohol. No one has that conversation. It's like I did my PhD work on alcohol. 50% of the people who are murdered are drunk. And 50% of the people who kill them are drunk. There you go. Oh, so he's saying when you have regular self-control without, uh, when you have regular self-control that's inhibited by your frontal lobe, it's th- then uh, bad things are less likely to happen. What a surprise. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's uh, hilarious and simultaneously sad. And uh, no, I think Jordan's right. Um, alcohol is like basically what, what are people doing, right, when they're in their early 20s at, at uh, university? What they're doing is, you know, uh, some people are studying, you know, the small minority. The rest are having like a like a full-on campus orgy. Well, it's not the rest of them. It's Chad and uh, 95% of the girls. <laughs> yeah, all the Chads that have gathered at the university. So it's like, you know, the top 5% of men. All the athletes, um, you know, all of the apex intelligent men who are also physically fit and so on. All of them are getting 95% of, of the girls. And, you know, drinking, they're partying, they're promiscuously uh, having a good time, you know, and that's that's that, right? And these girls get ruined, can't pair bond, and they get to 35, and, you know, they're single with cats and boxed wine with their lovely career, and they wonder why. And almost all the date rape situations are consequences of excess intoxication. But yet there's a party culture on campuses and anything goes. And you also have this strange thing, especially on the radical left, which is, which is unbelievably paradoxical, where absolutely every form of sexual expression imaginable is 100% permissible because sex is fine, but it's so dangerous that while you're dancing with someone at a Princeton mixer, you have to ask them two or three times if it's okay for you to continue. And, and that's, that's actually the case, by the way. I'm not making that up. It's like... Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually insane. Uh, yeah, but I mean, that's what they do. They, they have rules for thee and not for me. It's very, it's very schizophrenic, right? It's very uh, feminine, right? Because a, a lot of girls, they hold simultaneous views, right? Like, I'm a good person... And I can sleep with whoever I want with no consequence. Like, actually, uh, by sleeping around, you're actually contributing to the downfall of society. And actually, it's not really men that do it. Because again, if you look at statistically how many men participate in hookup culture, it's 5%, the top 5%. Just look at the Tinder statistics. Women swipe right on 5% of men. 4.5 4.5 or something, something ridiculously low. The rest get nothing. So if you get swiped right on on Tinder, it means you're in the top 5%. Um, something else I wanted to mention, it's hard even for those for those men to get laid, but basically those men and 95% of girls, 
are doing the hookup culture. You can't really blame it on men because 95% of men are not participating. It's like saying one small group of people are doing something wrong, therefore all of that group are doing something wrong. No, 95% of women are participating in hookup culture. 5% of men are. Why would you blame men for hookup culture? It's actually women's nature to skew the statistics like this because of hypergamy. Women want a superior man to them. They want a taller man, stronger man, fitter man, more charismatic man, more friends, better friends, more money, better car, better house, better everything than her, right? And um, yeah, by the way, guys, just as an aside, being a friend with a girl won't get you laid. Unless you're already in the top 5%. In which case, it's simply a very inefficient way of getting laid. It does work, but it's very inefficient. Well, both of those things can't be true. Now, what's happening, I think, on the Me Too end of things and the affirmative consent end of things is the old sexual taboos are reasserting themselves. The idea that we can extract sex out from emotional intimacy and especially emotional intimacy, I would say, psychological intimacy, maybe even from long-term relationship, is I don't believe it's a tenable idea. I don't think we can do it. And a lot of what we're seeing is the backlash against that. It's like, well, I feel used. You know, because one of the things that's happening on the really radical end of the uh, anti-sexual abuse movement is the idea that, well, if you have intercourse with someone and then you regret it the next day, That's evidence that it wasn't consensual. Well, it is in a sense evidence that it wasn't consensual because it's evidence that you didn't bloody well think it through, right? It was good for last night, but it's not good for today. It's not very wise. The question is, well, what constitutes consent? And we need to have a very serious conversation about that. Like under what circumstances is it acceptable to give consent? But we're not mature enough to have that conversation we want it both ways we want to be yeah you want to exactly so these girls make the poor decisions regret it the next day and want to blame it on the guy well no you need to prevent the poor decision in the first place right and it, i mean again before there were societal rules against this stuff right there were societal rules that prevented this problem but they don't exist nowadays right those societal rules have been thrown out the trash and it's not clear if it was good for anybody, right? Okay, let's read this chapter on uh, intergender friendship from Rolo Tomasi's book, The Rational Male. Ever since when Harry Met Sally was released, there's been a constant droning about the validity of intergender friendships to even suggest that men and women couldn't be strictly platonic, mature friends is to invite reproach from a society that's been steeped in notions of egalitarian equalism. If men and women are fundamentally the same, there should be no uh, impediment to developing and maintaining a friendship in like terms to a same-gender friendship. While it would be foolish to think intergender friendships aren't possible, it's important to understand that men and women cannot be friends in the way or to the degree that most people perceive same-gender friendships to be. Now, the natural response to this is, I have lots of female friends. Or, what are you trying to say, I can't have female friends? They all have to be enemies? Which, of course, is the standard binary black or white all or nothing retort that the trained AFC thinks anyone suggesting that many women's relations as friends could be anything less than equitable and fulfilling. And it's just a Neanderthal chauvinist um, way of thinking. However, they're incorrect. 
not because you wouldn't want to actually be a woman's friend. There are fundamental differences in the ways men and women view friendship within the framework of their own gender and the ways this transfers to the concept of intergender friendship. Quite simply, there are limitations on the degree to which a friendship can develop between men and women. The easy illustration of this is that at some point your female friend will become intimately involved with another male, at which point the quality of what you perceived as a legitimate friendship will decay. It must decay for an intimate relationship to mature. For instance, I've been married for 17 years now. Were I to entertain a deep friendship with another female, particularly an attractive female other than my wife, my interest in this woman automatically becomes suspect of infidelity. And of course, the same holds true for women with male friends. This dynamic simply doesn't exist for same-sex friendships because the gender, uh, the bedroom fun aspect is inconsequential. I understand how obvious this seems, but remember we're qualifying the characteristics of intergender friendships in the face of a social undercurrent that wants to convince us that men and women are fundamentally equal. According to this precept, men should essentially possess the capacity to repress their bedroom fun impulse to the point that it should have no bearing on his rational decision to engage in a platonic friendship. Likewise, a woman should be able to dissociate herself from a hypergamous nature to pursue a completely a bedroom fun friendship and both genders should maturely pursue the friendship for their mutual enrichment however reality tells a different story girl friends all of this isn't to say that you cannot have female acquaintances or that you must necessarily be rude or ignore all women with contempt but it's to say that the degree or quality of friendship that you can experience with women in comparison to same gender friendships will always be limited due to gender differences Most men would only ever engage in friendships with women that they initially find attractive, which then, of course, is colored by their attraction to that woman. I'm sure the not-in-my-case card will get played and attempt to make an anecdotal case for how much an exception to the rule you are, to which I'll say, even if you legitimately are, it makes no difference because the very nature of an intergender friendship is always going to be limited by gender differences. Even if you can legitimately make the case that you aren't now or weren't in the past attracted to your opposite gender friend, your other intimate intergender relationships will still modify and or limit the depth of that friendship. Even the best, most non-bedroom fun, platonic male-female friendship will be subject to mitigation based on bedroom fun. The easy example is, I'm sure you'd get jealous and suspect of of your girlfriend, wish you to be spending any quality time with another male friend. It's simply time spent with another male who isn't you and you'll always question her desire to do so in favor of spending time with you. Bear in mind that it's also important to consider how women relate with their same gender friends as a template for their intergender friendships. Remember, each gender uses its same gender model of friendship on which to base their understanding and expectations for an opposite gender friendship. Very few men have the patience to sort out how women interact with their woman friends, so you opt for the easy answer that equalism gives them. We're all the same, so your male buddies are the same as women. Any guy that's been in the circular hell of being a woman's phone friend knows this isn't true. Girlfriends have a much different dynamic for friendship than do men, but likewise, and by way of her innate solipsism, she's presuming her into uh, bedroom fun friendships will follow along a similar template to that of her girlfriends. And why wouldn't women expect their male friends to conform to their template? In a feminine-centric world, it makes practical sense for men to realign themselves to women's friendship frame. Men will all too readily tolerate behavior and attitudes from girlfriends as they'd come to physical blows with their male friends were they to do the same. Since the prerogative of maintaining that friendship is by default cast in a feminine-centric frame, women wouldn't even think of altering their own interpretations of friendships to accommodate a male perspective. Get it out of your head now that you're even in a so-called friend zone with any woman. 
There is no friend zone. There's only the limbo between you being fooled that a girl is actually a friend on an equitable level to your same gender friends, and you understand that as soon as she becomes intimate with another guy, your attentions will become a liability to any relationship she might want to have with a new bedroom fun interest, and she puts you off, or you do the same when you become involved with another girl. The female wingman. A lot of guys cling to this mistaken notion that you can parlay a female friendship into action with one of her hot friends. You may even have legitimate examples where that might have happened, but for each one, I'll show you a girl who would have slept with you irrespective of whether or not you had a mutual female friend to vouch for you. That friendship may have been a convenient pivot into another girl, but it wasn't the prior friendship that got you laid, it was the girl who banged found you attractive enough to bang. I'm not denying the utility of social circle game, nor am I ignoring that the conspicuous attention of hot women is good social proof. That's not what the friend pivot is about. It's about assuming a girlfriend will endorse you as a pre-selected potential bedroom fun partner. Uh, Sorry. You may think it's great social proof to have some hot friend endorse you as a good lay for her other friends, but women talk. In fact, it's all they do most of the time. Your status as a friend gets transferred to a girlfriend's. Why? First, if she was a prior target for you who turned into a let's just be friends, you already have that as an association of your friendship. Any of her girlfriends that would subsequently date you will know that she was your primary interest initially, not them. Secondly, assuming you even could be a completely innocuous, uh, a-bedroom fun, platonic, beginning to your intergender friendship, there will be competition anxiety with the other girlfriends. This will result in a tendency for the original friend to filter your exposure to which of her girlfriends she finds the least threatening. You have to consider the balance between your value to her as another friend against her endorsing you as a potential intimate for one of her girlfriends. Just because you have a girlfriend within a social circle of attractive female friends doesn't mean you'll get her endorsement for the one you'd prefer to get with. To complete the circle here, all of this leads up to understanding that your female friends will never be one of your guy friends. This silly notion is founded on the expectation that your female friend will hold the same interests and have the same reactions that your male friends will. Women are never going to be your wingman. One of the great downfalls of men today is too much female influence in their lives, to the point that it's become stigma. Beware the guy with too many exclusive female friends. This might make for the plot of stupid movies, but most women are wary of guys with so many female friends that they question their being able to relate with and be men. Part of being alpha is your facility with male interactions. If all your friends are women, this calls your alpha cred into question. Okay, back to the video. Be able to do whatever we want, with ever, with what, with whoever we want, whenever we want, with no consequences, and we want there never to be any trouble about consent. It's like, well, no, that's not going to happen. I don't think that sex works very well outside of committed relationships. I don't think there's any evidence that it does. There's a strong proclivity across cultures for, for the enforcement, Indeed. social enforcement of long-term monogamy. That's right. And there's reasons for that. There are. And I think you deviate from that at your peril. So now, if you, if you want to deviate from that, there's all sorts of reasons to do it. By the way, when Jordan is talking about this, he's actually, I mean, he thinks he's talking to men and women, but he's actually mostly talking to women. And it's for the same reasons that I've talked about before. 95% of women in 2023 participate or have participated in hookup culture. 5% of men have. This advice is actually for women. 
Because if the advice only applies to 5% of the population, it's not really advice for the population, it's advice for exceptions to the rule. You see? So most men are monogamous because they have no choice. The 5% that are not monogamous, well, they're doing it because they are exceptionally gifted, exceptionally lucky, right? Um, whereas 95% of women are participating in it. It's actually, and, and funnily enough, it's not destructive to men the way it's destructive to women. Men can have 50 sec, uh, bedroom fund partners, right? And then go on to have a happy marriage and have children. Women can't. Um, and I can understand why people are interested in adventure and all of that. But, you know, my sense also as a clinician is, you know, you only really get to try out about five people in your <coughs> life. You have to make a decision pretty damn quick. You this know, is like for women. This between advice. 20 and 30, there's a lot of things to get straight. And long-term mate is usually one of them. And most of the time, people should be more careful with their sexual behavior when they're young, especially when they're drunk, than they are. And I think it, I just think it's so interesting that all of the taboo reconstruction is coming from the radical left. It's not what you'd expect at all. You think it'd be the damn right-wing Christians complaining about, you know, sexual immorality. It's like, no, it's the radical lefties, you know? You, you have to have signed consent before making any physical move. And then that's so what? Really? Who thought that up? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You know how awkward that would be? It's very you know, awkward. You're supposed to be able to do a little bit of nonverbal reading, right? I mean, that's part of romance. You don't see it. You ever see a movie where the two people who are dating exchange consent notes? <laughs> like that doesn't happen. So it's an unrealistic solution. But, but I think the real solution is that Despite the fact that we have reliable birth control, we're going to have to relearn what the acceptable rules of propriety are with regards to sexual relationships. One of the things I often tell my young clients is don't do anything physically with anyone that you wouldn't talk to them about. Yeah, so basically if you just met the person, you probably shouldn't be having bedroom fun with them, right? Um, again, for a man, like you need to get your experience in and you need to get your experience in because women are attracted to men that have experience, right? But for women, getting your experience in actually makes you less attractive. If you are jaded and hurt from emotional, you know, rips and tears that you had from multiple chads, that doesn't make you more attractive. It makes you less attractive. Whereas for men, if they've experienced some emotional pain, some, you know, relationships, um, some relationships gone awry, they have some experience, it's actually more attractive. Women find them more attractive. So there it is. All right. um, Let's go on to relationship advice. Uh, This was posted 10 hours ago. So the guy is 31 and he scared away a wedding guest who's 30, uh, also a male, with a rude message. Uh, My best friend, Alice, is getting married in November 2023 and has asked me to be a man of honor. I've accepted and very much looking forward to it. I see as uh, being no issues apart from the fact that one of our friends called Bob will be coming to the wedding. To put it lightly, I don't like Bob and for good reason. I was married until two years ago when I got divorced from my ex. The breakup was brutal and Bob had a very big hand to play in it. During my marriage with my ex, which was eight years long, Bob was a mutual friend who always put me down in front of my wife, but never when we were alone. 
I tried to view it as banter, but it was fairly relentless and rude and oddly was often centered on me being a, a little girl. He was so disrespectful and lacked social boundaries, turned up unannounced in my house at 10pm multiple times for example. He then went on hour-long walks with my wife and during heated arguments with my wife, she disclosed to me that Bob suggested I was A-word. During the separation, Bob took my ex in and comforted her. I then got wind that shortly after they tried to date but it didn't work out. This pretty much confirmed to me that Bob was doing all the above to put me down, get me out of the picture and be with my wife. I told Alice in a recent talk that I'd send a message to Bob to iron out things, she said it's fine. I wrote and sent him this message. Bob, I'm sure you must have heard that Alice and Stephen are getting married in August. I'll definitely be attending this event and I'm somewhat sure you'll be also. As such, I wanted to write you a quick message to iron out some things before the wedding, just to not have any issues which could affect the smooth running of it. To give some background, I'm completely aware of what has happened before, during and after the events surrounding the relationship between me and my ex. I'm writing not to trudge up past events, but to safeguard future ones. With that in mind, I'd like you to interact with me as little as possible on the day of the event, as insignificant as it may be. If you do interact with me, you might as you you must do so with respect and proper acknowledgement of social boundaries. Whilst disappointed that I have to speak of the need of respect and boundaries, you have somewhat consistently throughout the time I knew you shown a flagrant disregard for such understandings as a person. I'm not really the type of person to tolerate such disregard anymore. The same requirement of respects and boundaries extends to my partner and pretty much anyone at the event and in life in general. I hope you're flourishing, Harry. Upon reading this, Bob called the groom and said that he wasn't coming to the wedding anymore since he was uncomfortable with me being there. I feel a bit bad about it, honestly. Bob knew Alice for years before he met me and my ex. While Alice is much closer to me, Bob has been present as uh, at, at frequent significant events. She said she understands why I wrote the message, but she said it was also a bit rude and demanding. She also, th- also thinks Bob should be less pathetic and just talk to me about it. I'm unsure how to proceed. So, again, this guy who's written the post... He didn't, like, Bob didn't see him as enough of a threat to stay away. He didn't see him as a threat. As a threat, He felt that he could go into this guy's territory and say and do whatever he wanted with no recourse. Yeah, no man could say and do that stuff in my territory. You better believe that. And, men, if you're not strong enough to push back against the world... When they disrespect you like this, I don't know what to tell you. Like, this is not allowed. Okay, let's look at the top comment. Uh, uh, 478 upwards. I don't think it was rude per se. You just told me your expectations, i.e. don't interact with me. And if you do have to, be polite. Bob is letting his immaturity show. Uh, 156 upwards. Bob is being Bob. Uh, i.e. he wants to stir crap up again. OP, don't waste any more thoughts on him. Alright. We're going to end the video here. Again, new to the channel, liking the content, hit that sub, hit all for notifications. Support me at my Patreon, patreon.com slash theheliasblog. Again, it's patreon.com slash theheliasblog. Go there and subscribe. Uh, drop me a donation, like Hunter M, Adrian R, Tom M. Link is in the description. Thank you so much, guys. Take care of yourselves. Thank you for listening to the end of the video, and I'll see you next time.